All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 21. Kids, if you have a Bible in front of you, Revelation is going to be at the very end of that Bible that you open up. And so we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We're going to read a few verses out of Revelation 21. And then we're going to talk about a couple of things leading into it. And then we're going to walk verse by verse through most of these, most of these two chapters uh, this morning. If the offering plates came around before you had that guest card filled out or you were still working on a prayer request on one of those cards, as you exit, there are black boxes on the walls as you go out. And so you can drop an offering envelope or you can drop one of those guest cards or prayer cards in those black boxes anytime you want. And, and those will be secure and, and picked up later. So if you need that option, certainly take advantage of that. We're going to study Scripture here for a few minutes together, thinking about Revelation 21 and 22. And then after we do that, we're going to just going to have a time of prayer and praise as a church. And so we're going to sing two songs together at the end. Let me encourage you not to walk out or put all your stuff up and, and get it all together. We're, we're going to study God's Word, and as a result of that, we are going to praise Him. And we're going to pray together. And so if you need someone to pray with you, you're going to have an opportunity for, to come up here and just pray either by yourself or to have someone pray with you. And so that's our direction that, that we're going this morning as we continue, as we continue to worship. Um, one other just very quick thing, and I... I say this more to say thank you to you than anything about myself, but this Sunday marks three years that my family has been, been with you all. And just from, from me and Amanda and our kids and our family, just saying thank, thank you for your kindness to our family. Thank you for what a gift it's been uh, to be a part of Emmaus. I tell people often, and I don't say this as pastors speak, but I tell people often, I couldn't be more excited about how God is at work in our church, how God's at work in, in our families together, and so it's been a gift. It is a gift to be able to, to minister alongside you. Uh, we're in this together, and so just thank you for, for what you mean to, to me and my family. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 as a starting point, and then we'll, we'll, take, a, we'll take a run at this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. May God bless the reading of his word. So this morning as we start out, I want you to think about 
some of those oxymorons that we deal with in life. Now, an oxymoron, if you don't know that word, the oxymoron is not the person sitting next to you. Um, uh, an oxymoron is when you combine two words into a phrase and they don't seem to, to go together. So, like, jumbo shrimp is, is a famous oxymoron, or open secret is another of those oxymoron. Two words that don't seem to go together. They seem like contradictions, but we put them together in a phrase. I ran into an interesting oxymoron uh, a couple of weeks ago listening to a podcast, Disneyland Gain. Um, Now, when I think about Disneyland, I normally don't think about games, but at Disneyland, there's this really strange phenomenon that's happened in recent years where adults who really love Disneyland have grouped together into these social clubs that have started to function like games. And so they will wear biker jackets with matching patches. And they have names like the White Rabbits and the Neverlanders and the Pixies and the Bandarain Babes. And so you have these groups of adults that will form into social clubs at Disneyland and they'll start to take on game-like behaviors. And so they'll take over rides all at the same time. Um, And so... When I think of Disneyland, I normally don't think of a gain, but apparently there are gain-like behaviors at, at Disneyland, two things that normally don't go together. Here's two things that we normally don't put together. Holiness, which has been this series of sermons we've been thinking about, and happiness. Holy, happy. When we think of someone who is holy, if we're not careful, we think of someone who is This is strange, but we think of people who are grumpy or sullen or reserved. Happy generally doesn't go with holy in our minds. Or we think of someone who is happy, and we don't immediately think of someone who is holy. But what I hope that you'll see this morning from Scripture, and what I hope you'll see this morning as we think about how God works in our lives, is that holiness should drive happiness, that those two things are meant to go together. Now, it does matter how we define those words. So when we're talking about holiness, we're not talking about obedience to uh, man-made rules and traditions, and we're not talking about trying to escape this world and live in a separated place. We're not talking about that idea of holiness. Holiness is separated from sin, dedicated to God. It's, It's being who God created us to be. And happiness We're not talking about short-term fulfillment, and we're not just talking about emotions. We're talking about this deep sense of joy and happiness that God gives. But what I do hope you'll go away with this morning is that holiness and happiness are meant to go together. Here's the danger, and here's what I run into a lot of times talking to people about their relationship with God. And it goes something like this. God wants me to be happy. And because God wants me to be happy, there's no way he would want me to stay in this job. Or because God wants me to be happy, there's no way that he would want me to stay in this marriage. Now, I'm not talking about a dangerous marriage. I'm not talking about a physically dangerous marriage. If you're in that situation, come to us and we will get you help. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we look at marriage or we look at work or we look at a situation and we think the main purpose of that situation is our happiness. God always desires our holiness more than our short-term happiness. But 
as we pursue holiness, that leads to the happiness that God desires for his people. The problem is when we get them in the wrong order. And we judge everything in life based on whether or not I'm happy right now. As opposed to judging everything in life based on whether or not this is leading me to be holy the way that God has created me to be holy. And I hope what you'll take this morning is that the more I pursue holiness, the more that leads to the happiness that God desires for me to have in life. I live for him and then I experience all that he has for me in life. Because here's the other part of that. If we're not careful, boredom and sin go together very quickly. When we start to get bored with life, or we start to get bored with our job, or we start to get bored with our marriage, or we start to get bored in different areas and we're not feeling that happiness, we're more likely in those situations to run after sin than we are to run back to God. And so we have to be on guard against this idea that holiness and happiness are enemies. They are not enemies. They are meant to be experienced together, but we can't truly have one without the other. John 10.10, if you need a verse to memorize this week, something to hold on to, I'd point you to John 10.10 if you don't already know this. John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God has created the world, and he has created his people to live in the world to experience the life that he has for them, and it's life that's to be experienced abundantly. But sin disrupts that. Sin disrupts holiness, and sin disrupts happiness, and it separates us from the life that God has created us to live. But God doesn't just abandon his people. He doesn't abandon creation. He is at work to redeem people, to rescue them, and to restore his creation so we can live the life that he's created us to live. And the way we're going to get at this this morning is by talking about heaven. And before we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we need to do some rethinking about heaven. If you got one of those half sheets of paper as you were coming in that has some sermon notes on there, there are a couple of things I want us to walk through to make sure we're on the same page when we talk about the term heaven. Because if we get on the same page here, it's going to make a lot more sense of the verses in Revelation 21 and 22 when we start to talk about holiness and happiness. Here's the first thing, and hear me out before you throw tomatoes at me on this first one. Heaven, heaven, thinking of paradise, is not the final destination for God's people. Okay, now hear me out on this. At the moment of death, If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven, you have a relationship with God, you've experienced salvation, absolutely you are in the presence of the Lord. Let's let's look at this to make sure we're on the same page. Look at these verses out of 2 Corinthians and and also, um, what are my other verses? And Luke 23. Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. This is Jesus speaking to the thief on the cross that was proclaimed him as the Son of God and the Savior. Today you will be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So hear me out. At the moment of death, 
If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, absolutely you will be in heaven. You will be in the presence of the Lord, completely secure. This is not about, this is nothing about purgatory. There's no intermediate state. You are in the presence of the Lord at that time. But here's the point. That is not the final destination for God's people. Because God will one day create a new heaven and a new earth where the people of God will live in resurrected bodies. We believe in a coming resurrection of the dead. We believe in a time that will come where there is a new heaven and a new earth where God's people will live together. Look at these verses that come right after that kind of point us in that right direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, that flesh and blood, this body that we live in, this corrupted body, this body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, so not all will experience death at the coming of Jesus, but we shall all be changed. We believe that one day every person's body will be resurrected, and you will be given a new body, what the next set of verses calls a spiritual body. Further down in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So Paul is talking about a phrase that I really think is helpful to make sense of this, and it's on your notes if it helps you. We believe in life after life after death. So people ask you a question, and they'll say, do you believe in life after death? And you might say, well, sure I do. I I believe that what we experience right now is not the end of the story, but I also believe in life after life after death. So a person is a follower of Jesus, and they die. Immediately, they are alive in the presence of the Lord. They They are with the Lord. We believe that that is true, but we believe that is not the final destination that God is creating a new heaven, and a new earth, we will be given a new body to live there as his people in perfect holiness and perfect happiness. And we hold on to this for two reasons. Because you might be saying, Owen, that is just pie in the sky thinking. Why would you ever believe something like that? We believe that for two reasons. Number one, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the core of our beliefs about the life to come. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we who are in Christ have similar hope for the life to come. Secondly, when you read the book of Revelation, for the love of God, turn off the internet and put away the newspaper. (laughs) The book of Revelation is read with the Old Testament in hand, not the internet site. In hand to understand what is happening in the book of Revelation, the plan that God has for his people, we have to understand all that God has prepared and planned for his people through the giving of scripture that leads up to this point. Revelation 21, here we go. Let's see how this works. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Paul, or not Paul, John writes here, he says, Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
John's looking at this future reality of a new heaven and a new earth. Here's one way to think about it as we go along. With God's first creation of all things in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the heaven and the earth. One of the things that happened with the sin coming into the world and death coming into the world is that heaven and earth, in some sense, were split apart. That we no longer have that direct connection with God and God with his people, that heaven and earth were split apart. What will happen with the new heaven and the new earth is those two will come back together the way they've always meant to be together. That we will live in the presence of God, experiencing his glory, living in the happiness that he has created for us because no longer are heaven and earth split apart, but they are brought together, they are, they are made new. Why does it say there won't be a sea? Because for those people, the sea was a place of chaos. And the sea was a place of death. Um, I don't know that I've talked a lot about this before with you, but I do not do well with water that I cannot see into. Um, so you all are so kind, and you'll invite, me, uh, you'll invite me out to the lake. Oh, hey, you can come with us to the lake. As I start to approach a lake or a body of water that, that, I, can't, uh, that I can't see into, like my, my blood pressure starts to go up and my palms start to get sweaty. Uh, some people took me water skiing one time. And so I skied for, you know, what felt like miles and it turned out to be like 50 yards. Uh, and, then I, and then I fell over in the water. Did you know they leave you when you fall over in the water? Like, like the boat goes away. I had, I kid you not, I had a sort of panic attack as I saw that boat going away in the water, and I'm just left there with my skis sticking up, and I have these images of like balls of snakes like flying through the uh, lake that are, that are going to come and get me. I don't do well with, with water that I, I cannot see into. If I can see into it, that's okay. If I can't see into it, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Remember, in the ancient world, people were terrified of the sea and the ocean because even in the book of Revelation where does the dragon and the beast come from they come up from the sea and so for these people the sea was a place of evil and was a place of fear a place of death and so in the new heaven and the new earth there will be no more sea and if you love the ocean God will work that out but for me I'm really glad about this um so Revelation chapter 21 John is not just randomly making this up it's not just coming out of nowhere. It's tied back to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 65 up here on the screen. Isaiah 65 says, For behold, the Lord speaking in prophecy through Isaiah, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And then check out the next verse. This is kind of where the pieces start to fit together. But be glad and rejoice forever and that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem. Speaking of the new Jerusalem, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. When God creates the holy city Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, it will be a place of joy for God's people. Verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Go back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. John says, 
I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This New Jerusalem is what was prophesied through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 65. What kind of city is it? It's a holy city. When God's people experience ultimate joy and happiness, it will be in his most holy place. If you are seeking happiness in your life, it will not be found in short-term fulfillment. It will not be found in what I want to do right when I want to do it for my purposes. Ultimate happiness in the Lord is found in his holiness and no other place. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This right here takes us back to what has always been God's plan for his creation. Always been God's plan for his people. It has always been God's plan that he would create a world in which his people would be able to live in perfect fellowship with him. And so throughout Scripture, you see pictures of this. What's happening here in Revelation 21, this is the Garden of Eden story. This is the whole purpose of the tabernacle and the temple, that God would be able to meet with his people and show them his glory. This is the story of the coming of Jesus, that in Jesus the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we were able to experience the glory of God at work in his world. The idea that God would have a dwelling place with his people has always been the plan from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. This has always been what God has been working toward. The middle of that verse, verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God was, is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. If you like to write in your Bible, Right there, you're going to write the word covenant. This is the covenant language that God has given his people. I will be your God. Don't worry. I've got this under control. You're not God. I will be God. I will be your God to watch over you and guide you and provide for you. And you will be my people. You will live in the power of my presence you will live for my purposes. I'll take care of things. You will be my people. This is the covenant language that you find in Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament that was prophesied to come. Here it is coming to perfect fulfillment with the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Thank God for Revelation 21.4. When you live in a world with so much crying, so much pain, so much death, to know that what we face now, what we experience now, is not the end of the story. That God will make all things new through the destruction of sin and death. And he will create a world in which there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Because perfect holiness always goes with perfect happiness. Verse 5, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. In other words, those who come seeking life from me will find it. What's the requirement to be saved? (laughs) You have to be thirsty for that water of life that only the Lord gives. And he gives it how? Without payment. It's not something we earn. It's not something you pay for. I don't know about you guys, but every time, every time I pay for a bottle of water at the store just because I'm I'm so tight with money, I just feel angry at myself um, that, <laughs> that I paid for water. I'm like, I had a jar or a, a, you know, a Nalgene at home. I could have filled that thing up before I left, but here I am paying for water. You do not pay for the water that the Lord provides. You receive it. How do you receive it? You say, Lord, I'm thirsty. I need the life that only you can provide. Verse 8, no, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So who, who will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth? Who will experience this happiness? Those who are thirsty and experience the water that the Lord provides, and those who conquer. In other words, those who continue to remain faithful to the Lord through his power. The word conquer in the book of Revelation is tied to chapters 2 and 3, where all these letters are written to the churches. How do they conquer? Because they're strong and powerful? No, because they confess the name of Jesus. That's how they conquer. They conquer through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I believe in the blood of Jesus, and I testify that he is Savior and Lord, and I hold on to that. What makes this a perfectly holy place? Look at verse 8, which is so hard, but we have to go through it, not around it. Verse 8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God's new creation, his new heaven and new earth, will be a perfectly holy place because those who live in sin will not be part of it. Now, we need to be very clear at this point, and and I should have been clear a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. We are not talking about here just people who struggle with these things. Because you might look at that list and say, oh man, Owen, there are things there that, that I struggle with. The question is not, do I struggle with those things? It's, is my life identified by those things? So the question is, is my identity in Christ and I'm fighting against these things, Or is it, I've rejected the way of Jesus and these things make up the identity of my life? So we don't look at this list and say, I know somebody that struggles with this, they're definitely not going to go to heaven. That's not what this is. This is those who choose to live apart from the ways of the Lord will continue to be separated from his happiness and his holiness for all eternity. So it comes from the Lord. It's for the purpose of being with him. It's inhabited by those who are holy. Verses 9 and going on to the end of the chapter give you the shape. What is the new heaven and the new earth going to look like? What, what are we looking toward? What, what's the goal? Verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels 
who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And they spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Just a quick note there about verse 10. Mountains are key places of holiness in the Bible. And remember, this is so hard to get it out of our minds because I know it's stuck in my mind in a lot of different ways. Remember, the Garden of Eden that God established in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis was on a mountain. We put the Garden of Eden like down in a valley when we think about it in our mind. The Garden of Eden was established on a mountain. And so God's place of holiness and happiness at the beginning of the Bible is meant to point toward God's place of holiness and happiness on a mountain in Revelation 21. Genesis 1, Revelation 21 are mountains of God's holiness and happiness that he has created for his people. Verse 11, what is this mountain like? What's this city like? It has the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall. In other words, no one can get into it. With 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. There's that connection with the people of Israel, the people of God. Verse 13, on the east there were three gates, on the north there were three gates, on the south there were three gates, on the west there were three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the 12 tribes of Israel, the old covenant people of God, the 12 apostles, the new covenant people of God, are put together in the new heaven and the new earth. There's no separation of the old covenant people and the new covenant people. They are together as part of this new creation, this new heaven and new earth. Verse 15, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Every time I buy a measuring tape at the store, it breaks. So I'm going to go with a gold measuring tape. Usually your kids find it and they measure random things around the house and then your only measuring tape is, is broken. So I'm just kind of working out counseling from the, from the stage. But this, is, this has happened to me before. Um, Verse 16, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Now that doesn't mean anything to us. 12,000 stadia is approximately 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles is is the reference there. 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. Okay, so just a moment. Let's make sure we don't brush over this. 1,500, I might have said 15,000 a second ago. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, high shaped, shaped like a cube. The number 12 there for length is much more important than our idea of miles because they didn't calculate based on miles then. But the number 12 we know was extremely important and 12,000 is 12 times a thousand which was the number of completion for those people, uh, a number of almost perfection. 
So all of God's people will fit perfectly in the city that he has created. And it's shaped like a cube. Would you say, well, what's the big deal there? It's because it's shaped in the same way as the Holy of Holies was shaped in the temple. What was the Holy of Holies? It was a place where the high priest could only enter one time per year. What's God doing in the new heaven and the new earth? He is creating the Holy of Holies where His glory will dwell perfectly with His people and everyone will have access to that. When you think about the new creation, you're thinking about living in an unbelievably huge Holy of Holies. Perfect access to God in all of His power and all of His glory. It even goes on in the next phrase there, and it says, He also measured its walls, and they were 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. In other words, I'm not just making this up. They really are that big. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations, in verse 19, of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Now, Partly to save time and partly to save embarrassment, I'm not going to read every one of those jewels that are listed in the, in the next few verses. But those jewels are the same jewels that were used on the breastpiece for the high priest. So, so the clothing that the high priest would use had the same jewels that are listed in Revelation 21. So you can see how that temple and heaven language are, are remaining connected together. Let's skip down to verse 22. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Don't forget that God's new heaven and new earth will be incredibly diverse places. A majority of Christians on the face of the earth, and especially a majority of Christians in all of human history, have not been white Westerners. Um, when you think about the new heavens and the new earth, not representative of this room. I'm thankful for this room. I'm thankful to be a part of this room, but we are a small minority in God's work of salvation and redemption and what he will do. And so let me just say this as graciously as I can right now. If you are scared of diversity now, you're not going to love the diversity of the new heaven and new earth. It is going to be a radically, perfectly diverse place God's holiness is not opposed to diversity. In fact, God's happiness is found in diversity. And so when we see this picture of the new heaven and new earth, it's this gloriously diverse place where the nations and the kingdoms will come streaming in. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter in it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at verse 1 of the next chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb 
through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. When you think about rivers, and you think about trees that give life, what part of the Bible do you think about? Genesis 1 and 2. Again, God's picture of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 points to what God is going to do for all of eternity, how he is going to provide life and healing for his people. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. Hey, kids, if you guys are scared of the dark, the new heavens and the new earth is the place for you. No more night, no more dark, no more me last night searching around our house trying to find a random nightlight that had gotten lost, and so we were having trouble sleeping because we didn't have a nightlight. So no more concern about that. No more night. Darkness often associated with evil, rebellion, living in hiddenness away from the things of God. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What happens then when you get into verse 6? Verse 6 says, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, in verse 7, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Soon there means imminent. Nothing stands in the way. Everything is prepared for the coming of the Lord. It will come soon. It's going to happen. It's trustworthy and true. Skip ahead to verse 17 in chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride, the Holy Spirit and the people of God say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come to the Lord. There is hope. There is healing. There is salvation. Come to him. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Those verses aren't just about changing the words. They're also about not living according to the message. So one of the ways you change the words of a book is you live your life in a way that doesn't match that book. So God is saying, I have given you my prophecy about what is going to happen. But if you choose to change that and live according to another message, you will not see the rewards. You will not see what I have prepared for you. And then verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. What we see from the early church is that cry, come Lord Jesus, became a part of early Christian worship. That they were anticipating, they were looking for the coming of the Lord. What do I want you to take 
from looking at these two chapters. I want us to pray two prayers. Prayer number one is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we pray that prayer? Because this picture that we see of the new heaven and the new earth is supposed to impact how we live right now on this earth. If we understand all that God is doing for his people, if we understand that picture of what it's going to look like for all of eternity, that should impact the way we live right now. Believing in a future new heaven and new earth doesn't mean we live our lives trying to escape this world. It means we live here as God's people empowered by God's Spirit. So the where I live, where I learn, where I work, where I play, my prayer is that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. That when people are around us, they experience a picture of hope. And they experience a picture of holiness and happiness that they question and say, how could you live in this world in that way? And the answer is because I don't believe this world is always going to be like this. But I believe that God does have a purpose for how we live in this world. And so I want to show you what that looks like. And so we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us live here fully, not trying to escape what you put in front of us. But number two, at the same time, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We're going to live fully here because we trust that this is not the end of the story. And when you experience some of the pain of this world, and when you experience the reality of death in your family and among your friends, it becomes very easy to pray, Come, Lord Jesus, come. You are the only hope to make right the mess that is in the world. You are the only hope that we have to get through the sin and the death that we face every day. Here's the challenge, though. How do you pray those at the same time? Because we tend toward one or the other. Either we just get totally focused on the world and what's around us, or we get totally focused on getting out of the world and we focus only on what is future. And the power of God at work in your life is being able to pray those at the, at the same time to say, God, I want to live fully here as your people and I anticipate when this world is made right and sin and death are destroyed. This last week, in fact, this last weekend, one of our church members, Angie Wall, passed away. Angie had battled ALS for over four years. I don't know if you're familiar with ALS disease. Um, it's a disease that has impacted my family directly. Uh, but ALS is it's just a brutal, brutal disease that your muscles begin to not work. Your body begins to fight against itself. It, it's, it's a very painful, very, very difficult disease. And the thing that I learned in interacting with Angie, and those of you who interacted with Angie as she was going through her disease, she was fully here to make an impact in the world in the time that the Lord gave her. 
even within the last couple of weeks when her body was really deteriorating and, and death was imminent, she was like, you know what, if we could just get this problem fixed, and then I think if we could just get this infection taken care of, I've still got a long time in front of me. I'm going to make a difference while I'm here. And at the same time, she was perfectly content knowing that when death came, that she would be fully with the Lord. Angie, living, not dying, but living with ALS, was one of the best pictures I've seen of someone who could pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You've left me here. You have me here for a purpose, Lord, and I'm going to live fully. And come, Lord Jesus, come. When the time is right that you would destroy sin and death, we will celebrate together. And so church, how do holiness and happiness go together? Holiness and happiness go together in your life when you're able to pray both of those prayers at the same time. Lord, I trust you and I'll live for you. Lord, I trust you. I look forward to the time that you will make all things new. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then we have time to sing two songs together this morning. Songs that help us think about our hope in Christ. Songs that help us celebrate together what God has done in our lives and in the world. If you are struggling with these prayers, if you are struggling fighting against sin, fighting against pain in your life, and we can pray for you, we want to be able to do that. Maybe, maybe your struggle in life is you're just incredibly unhappy right now. You find yourself bored. You find yourself distracted. You find yourself depressed. Like, how do I continue to go on? Let us pray for you. Use this time to come up here to sing, to pray, to give yourselves to the Lord. Let me pray for us, and we're going to do that together. Father, we thank you for the way that the Bible ends with this picture of new heaven and new earth. Heaven and earth brought together the way that you designed and created them to be. God, that all of your good promises to us through the book of Genesis, throughout the Old Testament, that all of those promises are fulfilled in Jesus and that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope that what we are facing right now is not the end of the story. But our response to that, God, is not to escape. It's not to quit living in the world. It's not to quit our jobs or quit our marriages or just begin to back away. It's to double down on those things and say, God, we will live places. We will work places we will be involved right where you've put us so that people are able to see a picture of heaven. That people are able to see holiness and happiness go together. God, I pray that you would make us that type of church that when people come to Emmaus, it's not a fake happiness, but God, there's a sense of joy and hope that comes through Jesus Christ. God, that when people are burdened, when people are discouraged, that this would be a place that they could come for hope. And so, God, now we praise you. Now we cry out to you in prayer. God, work in our hearts right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.